From the Library of Maria Menounos, this is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. Hey everybody, it's Book Circle Online. I'm your host, Jeffrey Masters, and joining us today is Ben Mesrick, author of many best-selling books, including The Accidental Billionaires, which began the movie The Social Network, Bringing Down the House, which began the movie 21, and his newest book is called Seven Wonders. Seven Wonders. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah, yes. thanks for being here. Oh, it's, I'm psyched to be here. Thanks. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, everyone knows like w- that The Seven Wonders like exist. I don't know that everyone can name them. No, most people can't name them, and when I started the book, yeah. I couldn't name them. Uh, I knew a lot of them. So there's two different lists, and that's yeah, where the confusion comes that. up. There's the ancient <laughs> seven wonders of the world, most of which don't exist anymore. Sure. One of which never, maybe never existed, and the pyramids still do exist. And then there's the new seven wonders of the world, which is what's commonly known as the seven wonders of the world, um, which you could still go to and still exist. And, uh, okay. and, uh, you know, or, and I can list them for you if you want, or if you want to try and guess them. I don't know, but the big ones people nah. know, you know, the Coliseum, the Taj sure. Mahal, uh, Christ the Redeemer in Brazil, yeah. that big, uh, statue. I've and been to Chichen Itza. Chichen Itza. Well, you're, yeah, that's, yeah. that's an amazing one. Machu Picchu, Machu Picchu, um, Great Wall of China. Uh, and uh, the one that was in the Indiana Jones movies was Petra, which is that rock wall in oh. Jordan. It's like, you know, carved into the rock yeah. and it's been there for many hundreds of years. Was that shot there? They actually shot one of the Indiana Jones movies. They dry, they ride through. Um, oh, they don't. I don't think they do much with it, but it was actually shot there. Oh, weird. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I was looking at pictures this morning. They're like pretty unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, in each one of the, what's amazing to me is that if you look into the history of each of the seven wonders of the world, it gets very mysterious and yeah. strange. And uh, part of the reason I wanted to write this book is I've always been obsessed with uh, ancient cultures and where things start to get weird. And when you look back, uh, you know, at something like uh, like Petra or or the Colosseum, and you get into the beginnings of it, everything gets very strange, and uh, and that's where kind of this book jumps off from. Oh, interesting. So, how much did you like know beforehand? Going well, I knew a lot about say, um, you know, ancient Greeks, ancient Romans, the Egyptians. I was a really geeky kid, and so <laughs> okay. I was one of those guys in my backyard. I would build pyramids and you know get really into Egyptology and oh yeah, that's the geeky. whole King Tut, the King Tut <laughs> exhibit was a really big deal to me, um, which is very sad and probably why I never met any women until I was much older in my life. But I I was really into sort of these kind of cool things. Um, So I knew a lot about certain things. I didn't know as much about, say, the Taj Mahal until I started researching it um, and things like that. But um, yeah. Yeah. Was it appealing that not a lot's been written about them, like, collectively? Yeah. You know, this book started as a movie pitch, in a way. I was actually on the phone with Brett Ratner, the director who did, um, just had Hercules, but did yeah. uh, the Rush Hour movies. And it Brett, 21, I 21 think, was one of the producers on my movie, 21, oh, right. which was based on one of my earlier books. And so I've stayed in touch with him for years. And I was on the phone with him, you know, looking for book ideas. And he said, uh, do you know anything about the seven wonders of the world? Because if you did, we could make a really cool movie. And so that's kind of where the idea started. And then I went and I sort of built a thriller plot uh, about a connection between the seven wonders. So I dove into the research and got really, really deep into it. And the other thing that sort of features in the book is the Garden of Eden. And the Garden of Eden is something I've always been fascinated by. Because, you know, we know the Judeo-Christian version of the Garden of Eden. But it turns out every culture 
almost every culture and every religion on earth has a Garden of Eden. Um, even American Indian tribes that had no contact with the outside world have an origination story that has a tree of life, has a piece of fruit in it. Um, you know, the multiple two rivers. It's in Hinduism. It's in, um, you know, Sumerian tablets from 8,000 years ago. And so it makes you wonder, are we all remembering something, you know, in our DNA that actually did happen? Yeah. Or is there one sort of story that somehow caught on across the entire world and nobody really knows? And so that was something I wanted to get into. Uh, so is that why it's important that like Sloan was just like genetic botanic? Uh, yeah. So I wanted to bring a, a botanist. I don't feel like botanist. there's enough botany in thrillers these days. <laughs> no, I wanted to go. That's your mission as a exactly. writer. <laughs> I am, I, I, plant life is very intriguing. And one of the things that turned me on to make a botanist character is the Colosseum in Rome. Some of you, you know, you might have been to the Colosseum in Rome as a tourist and wandered through there. But it turns out there's a very odd amount of strange plant life in the Colosseum. There are uh, over 400 to 500 species of plant um, dating back thousands of years. Was it originally a garden? Of well, some no. Sort? What happened was most likely what happened is is they would bring in people to fight in the Colosseum and animals to fight them from all over the world. And these animals and people would carry little, uh, you know pea pods or whatever you yeah. want to call plant on their clothes and it would get dropped into the Colosseum and then grow. And so you had plants growing from all around the world in ancient times uh, in the Colosseum and somehow have survived to this day in some of them. So I don't know. That's how I got into the whole, I know this is getting a little weird. But no, yeah, that's really weird. Yeah, but botany <laughs> is something that, you know, when you dig into sort of plants, uh, you get into some really interesting stuff. And so I wanted to have a, a female scientist and I thought it would fit well. So how was this book not hard to write? <laughs> I just want to say, that's the longest I've ever spoken about botany in my entire life. So, um, <laughs> but you've wanted to speak about I've it. I've <laughs> always wanted to, you know, writing about Mark Zuckerberg. I yeah. wish I was writing about plant life very I, similar really but yeah. you know <laughs> i guess i'm curious because like every character in the book is like uh, an expert in their field right so like by default you kind of have well to that's the kind of the fun part of writing a book like this is is the research to me i'm sure. really into sort of digging into stuff and i wanted to know as much as i could um to make it realistic um so in terms of being a nonfiction writer you know i've been a nonfiction writer for so long uh, i've got these avenues of research open to me i know how to get to professors and i've got people on sort of uh, on my speed dial i I guess we say, um, who are experts in just about everything. You know, okay. if I want to find a CIA guy, I know a CIA guy, something like that. And so in terms of researching for this book, each topic I would get into and, and compile a thousand pages um, of research before I started to write. Wow. Yeah. So I have a good thousand pages on the Taj Mahal and a thousand pages on, you know, Rome and a thousand. And it's this massive amount of research. Wow. So how how much of the book is based on fiction? Is it well, all Well, you know, the, the plot is a thriller and it's, it's very Indiana Jones, you know, over the top. But in terms of what goes on in it and the history of it, it's based in real stuff. Almost all of the history in it and the religious stuff and all of kind of uh, the mythology is all from text. Oh, really? It's from stuff I found. Um, and the science is all real as real as it can be um in terms of there's genetics in this and there's um you know some sort of more historical science in it that's all real okay and you say that they're um the ancient and modern ones are like enantiomers of each other yeah so it's there is a, a uh, you know i don't want to get too much of this book away but there's okay. a there's a the key you know thing in the beginning of this book is this that uh this mit kind of whiz kid um discovers a link um in that uh, there's a, a geographical link between the modern wonders of the world and the ancient wonders of the world and that if you create a map taking the topography of the world and and functioning it down to this you know there were there were two very different geographic areas it turns out that it's almost like two hands 
being put together. There's a, they're opposites of each other. And there is a way to do that scientifically, yes. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But, you know, listen, huh. as I say in the book, <laughs> the human mind looks for patterns. We're all looking for conspiracies of all course. day long. And so if you want to find a conspiracy, you can find one. If you want to find a pattern, you can find one. This happens to be a pattern that I found. Um, whether it means anything or it's just something in, in our mind. You know, like the number seven is another perfect example. I mean, everyone goes on and on about the number seven. It's it's embedded in in, in human life since the beginning of time. You know, the seven yeah. days of the week or whatever. God created the world in seven days, if you believe that. Um, but the, the word seven itself is Eve with an S and an N on either side, right? North oh. and South. But that's just a random pattern right yeah. but is it who knows and so things like that um i get very intrigued by <laughs> and, and uh, okay. you yeah, know, never thought yeah, about that. they mess with your head when you start to get into it eve and yeah. um, north oh, and south and even the middle right? is it worrisome <laughs> to cre- um i know obviously this is fiction we're not right. like selling it as historical like fact right is it worrisome to like um let me rephrase this there's so many books about Shakespeare not writing his works. Right. I've read a lot of the books. They're baloney, I think, but right. they made the movie anonymous. Right. Where, and I'm worried that kids watch that and they're like, oh, that guy named Shakespeare is he didn't a cover exist. up. Right. Yeah. Is it like worrisome, like write a book like this and have people like believe like there might be like something under the. No, I want you know, people to believe that there's something under it because <laughs> the reality is, is that, you know, it's, it's our imaginations that build everything we see. And so when you look okay. at something like the Taj Mahal, there really are levels beneath the Taj Mahal that no one has ever been in. The Indian government has not let anyone in these levels underneath the Taj Mahal and nobody knows why. Okay? Oh, that was and my so next question. <laughs> you can play with that, you know, as much as you want. I mean, the reality is is that it's probably that the Taj Mahal isn't what people think it is. It wasn't built for the reason that people think it is, and the Indian government has a reason to not let people know that. Um, so there's this, you know, I don't want to get to in all of your research. Though, have you found like a good reason why they wouldn't? Let I mean, you have in? to you have to at some point come up with a reason because you won't always know the answer. You know, uh, um, there's lots of uh, questions about about you know each of the seven wonders of the world that that don't have an easy answer the pyramids the sphinx is not seven wonders but it's a big part of this book what is the sphinx yeah why was it built you know it wasn't built when people thought it was built Uh, a lot of people thought you know the egyptian pharaoh who you know was the one who built it but he actually found it it was already there and so he did reface it yes and so the original face of the sphinx isn't what we see today it was actually a woman and that's one of these really weird things that most people don't know. Yeah. Um, but when you look into the history of it, um, the Sphinx was found there, not built there. That's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about all the research you did. Right. I had to do so much to like prepare for this. I mean, you, listen, <laughs> the fact that you actually read the book before an interview is a new thing for me. So well, that's that. it's, uh, it's frightening <laughs> to me that I'm talking to someone who actually read it. Right. Uh, uh, well, this been going out of the Sphinx, so I couldn't find anything online about right. that. Well, you have to go farther than that. You have to find archaeologists. You have to. Wow. When I do my research, it's really. A, uh, I learned this through my nonfiction, but also the reason I became a writer is I want to live vicariously through my characters. I want to be Indiana Jones. Yeah. You know, but I'm scared of everything on neurotic Jewish person who kind of hides in my house all day long. So the idea of actually being Indiana Jones is impossible. I mean, I get sunburned right now in LA just walking outside. So to create the character, I dive inside. So for instance, the Sphinx or all the Egyptology stuff, I have experts. Um, I, I went to, uh, to Harvard and I was an anthropology minor. And so I have a lot of anthropology and archaeology professors that I can call on, people like that. And you dig and you dig and you dig until you find what you're looking for. Interesting. And the um, Amazons, was that something right. you found in research or you kind of like wanted it's to implant? Both. It's a mixture of stuff. So uh, one of the other themes in this book are Amazons. I mean, people know about Amazons because of Wonder Woman. Um, 
but you know, there's this mythological race of warrior women um, that may or may not have existed. Nobody really knows if they ever actually existed. But there's an awful lot of classical ancient literature that does speak of them from in different multiple cultures. cultures. Yeah. I mean, the Greeks, Alexander the Great. Although that's kind of a funny thing is that his generals described him beating this Amazonian tribe and then his response in another uh, ancient text was I don't remember this like was I actually there so nobody really knows if that was true or sure. not but there's <laughs> there's plenty of sort of historical references to them and there are also a lot of objects um, with pictures of them on it you know from very long ago so whether the Amazons existed or not is is one of the great mysteries of, of life sure. and so I, I've I've worked them into the book um, but for instance there's a there's a scene in there in Brazil in the uh, Amazonian rainforest in the jungles um, and this is true is that an adventurer way back you know when uh, found a tribe of women warriors and was attacked by them whether they're related to ancient Amazons or not nobody knows but that's how he described it oh the end, but in Brazil, not right. even like Africa. not even having to do with it. So nobody really oh. knows. It's it's that's the stuff that really get me going is these these mysteries of life that no one's really figured out. Kind of like the mitochondrial Eve, right? No, so now that is a scientific mystery, and now we're getting really into <laughs> um, But there is this that's a true concept in science, and so that's something. There's been a number of papers written on. Um, I've never heard of it. For yes. uh, our viewers at home, could you just give like the name sure? Like I can try to. So the um, idea is that um, we all descend from an a mother figure there is a woman um in you know sub-saharan africa uh i forget how many thousands of years ago who we can all trace our genetic lineage to this one person it doesn't mean that she was actual eve because there were people before her but everyone on earth's genetics can be traced back to this conceptual mitochondrial eve we haven't found her or anything like that but there is supposedly one genetic source for everyone who's on Earth today. And that's because we, our genetics pass through. Right. Like so each generation, you know, you have female. your genes from the former, and, and we're passed from female to female. Yeah. So the female gene is in everybody. Um, so there is a mother figure, this Eve, and, and it's a, it's a, it's a biological concept. If you look it up, mitochondrial Eve, there was papers written about it. It was very hot, I think, in the 90s. I'm not sure. sure. Maybe in the 2000s. I can't remember when it first came out. And then kind of everyone forgot about it. But there really is this concept of mitochondrial Eve. Um, you know, it's, it's a different. Big concept. It's a very important yeah. concept when you look at sort of where we all come from, because we all come from the same place, you know? And that's yeah. kind of an intriguing thought is that humanity all has one source. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a biblical way of saying that and there's a scientific way of saying that. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know if it was because like I grew up in the South and that's like heresy, right. but I'd never heard right. of such a thing. Right. And you know, but it really isn't heresy if you want to look at it because it's really what the Bible's saying. It's just yeah. saying it in a different way. Right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, tri- I'm always intrigued by that battle between religion and science because I have fall on the science side. I mean, um, but at the same time, you know, you can play with things like the Garden of Eden, you know, that's a religious thing it's in it's in all these different books not just the bible it's in a lot of different books including yeah. hindu texts and sumerian texts um but was it real or not you know and nobody really knows yeah and i was i i was like wait does this actually exist this <laughs> concept and i was looking out they said she existed between like 100,000 200,000 years ago okay good you got the numbers see i don't yeah. even I, yeah i have to look back I was into like, that's it, a but big uh, like, yeah, number I mean, well you know it's it that, and that's the thing about this sort of science is it's never going to be exact enough um, you know, now, maybe in the future, we'll figure it out better. Of but course. yeah, 100 to 200,000 years ago. That's, wow. Yeah, it's wow. impressive. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, you know, you can go from there into, I don't want to give away where I go with the book, but um, tying it into the sort of seven wonders of the world um, was one of the sort of fascinating, uh, you know, 
webs I was trying to create. Sure. This, yeah. So wh- tell me this. I don't want to, this to come across like I'm negating the book. Right. But why did Brett Radner want you to write the book versus like write a script about it? Right. Well, I mean, I think the general idea in the beginning was not really, um, there's this synergy now between books and movies. And, you know, yeah. it's almost all one business in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I've had multiple books turned into, you know, fun movies. And I think that, Brett was just throwing an idea out there because he knew this was the sort of movie people would want to see in yeah. Indiana Jones oh for the 21st century, you know, a new type of, of thriller like that. It's been long and, you know, there's the National Treasure one. movies, which were, well, the first one was great. Yeah. Um, you know, you have uh, all these kind of adventure things. And I think he saw me as someone who would, who would be intrigued by that. And okay. I was. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it could have just been a script, uh, originally, but it started, I never, I write books, you know, that's of all course. I've ever written. And so when I sat down with it, I was like, I want this to be a big thriller. And I'm planning a trilogy of them. Um, so there's going to be three different books and hopefully three different movies if people like it. Of course. Um, and, uh, and, uh, so yeah, with the same character. I wonder if it's just easier to get a, I'm mean, like part of like the marketing, like the origin story. Like right. this is based on that awesome book from last summer versus right. this is a cool b- movie. <laughs> well, I mean, I definitely think nowadays in terms of the business of Hollywood, you know, tying something to a book is intriguing and people like it that way. You yeah. want to know there's a book and a movie, um, you know, with Accidental Billionaires and the Social Network, for instance. Um, I think there's something people see the movie and like, okay, let's see what really happened. And then they want to go read the book. Yeah. And I think uh, even sort of in fiction, there's that feel Da Vinci Code. You know, you see the movie. Uh, most people have already read the book then saw the movie on that one um but you want to see how it's presented on the screen and uh, alternatively when you see something on the screen you want to see how it would be in depth um, because they're very different mediums did it eventually being coming a movie like a factor into like the writing process well it does you know to be fair all of my books I've always thought of as movies. Oh, really? So that's part of the reason I think why Brett thought of me yeah. for this sort of thing is that when I sat down to write, you know, the Facebook book, I was picturing a movie. When I sat down to write, um, you know, Bringing Down the House about the MIT kids, it was always a movie in my head. Um, the fact that it became a movie was an amazing, you know, fortunate thing. Yeah. But uh, I always sat down to write that way, for better or worse. I mean, there's certainly critics who say you're writing a movie, <laughs> you know, not a book. Um, but for uh... me, I've always seen visually, I've always thought visually. Um, and that's how I do it. I sit down in a pitch black room when I write and music's going crazy and I'm writing and I'm just visualizing it and then writing it down. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's crazy. You don't want to walk into the room when I'm writing something because it looks very bizarre. But uh, it's right. uh, I get really into it and I kind of live the story and I've already done all the research. So when I'm writing, it's really like I'm filming a movie in my head. Wow. And speaking of the movie, um, let's talk budget. Do you know how much it's going to be well, to shoot you know these what, places? Listen, if, you, if, if we want to shoot on locations around the world, seven, around seven wonders of the world, it would be a great big budget movie. I think Massive. that's the goal. I mean, I think the goal, Brett's goal anyways, is to do a big you know, a big type of movie all around yeah. the world. Because these are such incredible places. I mean, the fact that they do exist, that you can go to the Coliseum or you can go to the Taj Mahal, I don't know what it would be like to actually film in these places. Yeah. But um, the, the Great Wall of China, for instance, is something that everyone talks about and everyone thinks about. Um, but how many people have actually been there? You know, don't you want to see that in a movie? And yeah. that would be awesome. So I think the thinking is to do it in a big budget way. But we sold it to Fox. It's up to them. Um, the screenplay is... is uh, I've heard almost done. Um, and so once the screen plays in, we'll start thinking about who would play Jack Grady, you know, what oh, stars right. we would get, um, and then go from there. Okay. And then it, are the trilogy of the books, are they yeah. going to circus around like the seven wonders? No, the well? first book's about the seven wonders of the world. Second book is, is the same character, you know, just of like course. Indiana Jones. And when we get to a crystal skull, you know, we've gone too far, right? <laughs> but, um, the goal is, uh, another big, uh, another big story okay. I'm working on right now. 
Will we look for like the same characters like Andy and Sloane and them? Yes, they'll be in it again. Fantastic. Uh, they'll be in it again, yeah. I don't want to give it away, but we have the big Hollywood moment at the end. <laughs> yeah, there's a big Hollywood moment at the end. You know, it's definitely, yeah. uh, I think it will carry on. Uh, you know, I've gotten already gotten some reviews or emails. I'm like, uh, is she coming back? Is he coming yeah. back? And it's funny to think that way. But um, I've got the next couple planned out. Perfect. So. Yeah. Andy's the perfect sidekick. You know, he's smart. He's technological. He's right. ethnic. You know? Right. He got it all going on, all the quadrants. Yeah. But it was really fun to write. So. Oh, good. The, yeah. the father was such a big character in this yeah. book. I kept waiting for him to like pop out. Of, yeah, like, a he's coffin. in book. He's in the second he? book. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you know, listen. If if people uh, you know like it, it will continue for a while. I, yeah, I, I had more fun writing this than pretty much anything else I've ever written. I really oh, loved really? it. It was a great experience for me. So I'd like to do this for you know ever. Oh wow! So yeah. you're back in like fiction. I had to stop it. dealing with these crazy people that I write about in nonfiction. <laughs> no, I loved you know some of the stories I've written have been wild. Some of them have been really crazy. Um, and I love writing nonfiction, but I think I always wanted to be a thriller writer. I kind of fell into nonfiction accidentally. A lot of your nonfiction though is like written like a thriller yes that's what the no people stories. at the new york times say oh, too. <laughs> no but i oh, well, I, just me. <laughs> I, I i wrote it to be a thriller i always wanted to be a thriller writer i grew up watching tv and movies this is what i wanted to write yeah. is these big thrillers and then i happened to run into the mit kids and started going to vegas with them every weekend and so bringing down the house became my first successful book but i i didn't mean to write it i just happened to be hanging out with them and not true or false, I read that yes. you flew to Vegas with them with $250,000 strapped to your body. I did. I put a quarter really? million dollars under my clothes. This is pre-9-11. So remember, you were allowed oh. to fly with a coat on, okay. um, which is a big difference. That's you know, you could actually comfortable flight. Now, well, it was, the, like, it's also terrifying that you're wearing that much money on you. And then yeah. you get to Vegas and you go into McCarran Airport and you trade the money under the stalls. Back then, you could actually go under the stalls. And uh, we would uh, there would be about six to ten kids, college kids, and you'd have a million dollars in cash between you and then you okay. spread it to who was going to which casino in the airport it was crazy and uh um yeah it was all cash still to this day these guys all think about money in in inches because it was always stacks oh. you know here's three inches it's like it's very you know good fellas so but like thirty thousand dollars you know ten thousand dollars oh so. really that's what we used to say and uh you know you it was crazy you, you start to think about money in a different way but still to this day those mit kids i'll go to vegas with them and they carry a hundred grand on them it's just nuts how, how are they still like allowed in um, they're not allowed to play blackjack anymore. I'm not allowed either. They kick me out if oh, I really? play blackjack too, which is stupid because I'm horrible at math and I'm actually an <laughs> awful blackjack player. And uh, the MIT kids always laugh at me when I get kicked out. So you out, didn't pick up a lot of like big poker skills? I, I learned it all, but I'm not as good at the math as like those guys are. I mean, maybe? you know what? It's all practice. Okay. You need to practice about six months to pull off card counting. Um, and these guys are so good. They're not allowed within 15 feet of a blackjack table. The security will kick them out. You know, we've been backroomed. Wow. You end up in a back room, handcuffed to a chair, that kind of thing. But, you know, nobody, you know, it's fun, but it's crazy. Yeah. Now, you were saying that, like, it's the nonfiction stories you write were the crazy stories. Right. The, like, such as, like, the ugly Americans and right. sex on the moon. I was, like, reading about them. And right. if, they, if they weren't real, I would have been like, okay, nice yeah. story, Ben. But no, I don't no, this. it's nuts. So sex on the moon was about a kid who robbed NASA. Yeah. Um, I got a, a phone call out of the blue. You know, I get about 30 to 40 pitches a week. Um. People oh. just call me, mostly college kids who do something stupid or crazy. But every I was time something how do you happens, find them? yeah, they come to me. And so <laughs> Sex on the Moon was a random call uh, from a guy who's like, you have to hear about this guy. He's getting out of jail tomorrow, which is usually not what you want to hear. But yeah. um, he'd been in jail for a decade. Um, and he was a college kid who you know wanted to be an astronaut, ended up at NASA. Um, and he, He's um, on the path. On the path. He was working at the Johnson Space Center in Houston. F- uh, fell in love with a 19-year-old intern. And to impress her broke into a lab and stole a 600-pound safe full of moon rocks. 
He then spread the moon rocks on a bed and had sex with the girl on the moon so he could say he had sex on the moon and then tried to sell them over the internet. Um, of course, got caught, right? Shocking. How and they arrested him in a huge FBI sting operation, 100 agents, and they put him in jail for 10 years for what to him was like a college prank. Um, so it was this kind of wild story. And then he called me because he read Bringing Down the House while he was in prison. Oh. And I met with him in Utah. He's like, you know, from a Mormon family. And uh, <laughs> he was the nicest guy. He just did something really stupid um, for love is what he said or for money or whatever you want to say. The reason was. And so that one was one of the books, you know, one of my nonfictions. Yeah. How do you get a 600 pound safe out of a like a closed it took a, place? It was him and two 19 year old girls, too. Oh, it's crazy. No. They used a mechanized dolly. It was very James Bond, the whole theft operation. <laughs> but working on the movie on that one as well. Oh, really? Sony. And Ugly Americans, you mentioned, is about a kid who ended up in Japan um, who ended up uh, making $500 million in five minutes trading the stocks, was part of the whole expat community there and fell in love with the daughter of a Japanese gangster um, and then had to leave Japan very quickly. And uh, we're doing a TV show uh, with uh, Jerry Bruckheimer with that right now. So, Oh, really? Yeah. So there are these projects, you know, they, they're when you get involved in them, it gets crazy. I mean, you have to go to Japan and hang out with Yakuza gangsters, or I, I snuck into NASA and spent a week in NASA. But um, it's fun. But at the same time, writing something like Seven Wonders, for me, you get to sort of go much farther into things because, you know, you're controlling uh, the facts rather yeah. than reality controlling them. Yeah. Is it easier to give up those uh, nonfiction stories to, like, film because, like, you didn't create the characters and stories? I mean, yes and no, because uh, you have a response responsibility because there are real people there okay um for me you know film is all about handing it to the people that you think will make the best movie out of it because the author no longer has any control right once you sell your project you know you take a check and they make the movie and you're a consultant on the set usually you're involved in the screenplay to some degree um but once it gets going it's really the director um who has all the power and then big actors of course have all the power as well um i was lucky the social network you know you have david fincher and aaron sorkin yeah you know it's going to be a good movie um but because there are real people involved, um, it's it's definitely a different you know situation uh, than a big fiction thing where they can go any direction they want. Totally. Yeah. And now I read that you wrote uh, "Bringing Down the House" in six weeks. Was yes. it? Is I that wrote, your normal speed? Um, I you know I write very quickly. Yeah. Uh, I I try and research everything I can first, and then sit down and write. "Bringing Down the House" was a very fast process. I went to Vegas. And I stayed in a different suite every night. So I stayed in every hotel and every, you know, I can tell you okay. the worst and the best places to stay tell in me Vegas. the best brunch. The, the best brunch is definitely the Bellagio brunch. Okay. It still is to this day the best brunch in Vegas. I'll write that down. Go to the Bellagio brunch. That's your whole day. Um, I don't want to say what the worst hotel is, but I can just tell you there are some hotels where you open the window and you're looking at a brick wall and then you know, there's like, you know, meth being done in the room next to you. But it's, uh, it's, it's, that's, a, that's that was a quick book. It was a six week book. Yeah. Oh, um, man. the fastest I ever wrote a book was like a week and a half when I was like outside of, right after college. And I wouldn't read that book if I were you, but I did write a book very quickly, but average for me is three to six months. Okay. And you, you said that you, uh, your first nine books were all rejected. You yes. describe as crappy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What is the difference between – because you're like the same person writing yeah, these But you know what? Some writers write the same book nine times before they get to a good version of it. Oh. I was a guy who had to get all of these books out of me before I started writing 
you know, wow. better, I think. I, I graduated from college and knew I wanted to be a writer, locked myself in a room and just wrote nine novels in a year. Um, and rejection, rejection, rejection. Wow. I got 190 rejection slips. I had them all over my walls. I was even rejected at a, by a janitor at a publishing house because I wrote a book and I sent it to an editor who was no longer working there. <laughs> and it got thrown in the trash and a janitor took it out of the trash and read it and then rejected me. Okay. So I actually have a letter from him, which is <laughs> very sad. Um, but, um, yeah. And oh, then no. eventually I wrote a book. Uh, it, it was a medical thriller that ended up getting my published. And so I was 25, 26 when my first book was done. Oh, interesting. Um, and then I've, I've, this is my 15th, I think, or 16th. So I've written all together many books, but the first nine were not ready for, not ready for television. Right. <laughs> right. And then you mentioned your uh, show Jerry Brockhammer. Is that the one yeah. mirroring the Ugly song? Americans? No, I'm, oh. I'm doing something with CNBC. Um, so right. I have a show about uh, the filthy rich or something. But I'm just one of the commentators on it. Oh, That's sure. More of a Wall Street type show. The Brockhammer one is a scripted show. So we're working on putting together the pilot right oh, now. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Okay, mm. yeah. Your work seems to like have a great relationship with Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, ever since 21, really. And what happened was Kevin Spacey read the manuscript of Bringing Down the House, um, called me up out of the blue. I was sitting at home and the phone rings and it's Kevin Spacey. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was 20 whatever years old and I was like, it's not really Kevin Spacey. I hung up <laughs> on him, called my mom and oh, I said, Kevin yeah. Spacey's trying to call me. And she's like, no, it's not. It's MIT kids prank calling you. Cause right. they would, but it really was Kevin. Um, and I went out to LA and that's kind of where it all started. Kevin wanted to make that into a movie. And that became 21. And so Kevin produced um, Social Network as well. He was one oh, of the producers he? on that. And Dana Brunetti, they run Trigger Street here in L.A. And they're an amazing company. And that's where my relationship in Hollywood first started. Wow. Why were the um, MIT kids like happy to just have you along? Well, that's a good question. I think the main guy really wanted to tell the story because okay. he was getting kicked out. He was already burned out as a player. Oh, um, I see. They already knew him in Vegas. So he knew his days of blackjack were done. The MIT team as a whole didn't necessarily love that I was telling the story. Yeah. Um, there were groups of students who didn't like that I was giving the secrets away. Of course. Um, this had been going on at MIT for 25 years. Really? So gr different group would train the next group would train the next group. Oh, the um, same like blackjack Same secrets. blackjack skills but and the same bankroll. So this million dollar bankroll was from the students before. Wow. And they would play with it and build it up and then give it in the next students and the next students. So it was kind of a neat thing that had been going on for a long time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they once I was on the team, I was playing every weekend. I was with them every weekend for about six months. Um, they just got to know me well enough that they let me do it. Wow. Yeah. Was that your connection to MIT with the uh, Infinite Corridor? Um, the well, Seven I spent a lot of time in MIT, and I started. Uh, I wrote that one. I wrote a book called Busting Vegas, which was a sequel. Um, I got to know a lot of people there, and when we shot Twenty One, we got to know a lot of the professors. Um, so I, uh, yeah, I have uh, the Infinite Corridor. The book starts at MIT. Yeah, it opens with this character who's very much like the characters I write about, who's sure. uh, you know uh, obsessed with numbers and math and patterns, and he uncovers this connection between the old Seven Wonders of the World and the new seven wonders of the world um and so i said it in a lab that i know well those labs all exist the wow. infinite corridor is real um and uh the whole idea that there are people at mit doing things that you have no idea what they're doing um you know radar was invented there all of these there's a connection to the defense department i i'm, I'm fascinated by mit yeah. yeah. Originally, that, MIT was where we developed a lot of our weapons, um, which is creepy and cool. Um, by students. College students would work on radar and sonar and, you know, uh, targeting systems. It's like that movie Weird Science. Remember that? Yeah. Um, that really exists. There are these labs there, which are how it's 19-year-olds um, developing the next level of weaponry. 
That is so weird. <laughs> it is. There's a, there's a book in that alone, and then professors are making fortunes off of it too. What uh, by the students? Because they're uh, they end up on the boards of all these companies, so the students kind of invent things, and the professors take them and go with it. It's a, it's a really wild world. My dad uh, is a doctor now, but he was an engineer inventor, oh, really? so I had a very scientific background. So my dad, you know, we'd go down to the basement, and there'd be like a hologram in a fish tank. It was the first freestanding hologram was in my basement, and then they ended up using him in Disney World and stuff. And uh, he worked on MRI. Um, and so at one point in time, him and his buddies had created the largest magnetic field in the world in this box. And they were who there was a they drew uh, lost uh, whatever drew uh, straws to decide who would put their head in it. Um, and, you know, it's weird stories like that, which I'll one day write about. So of I have course. a very scientific background. Um, yeah. Oh, wow. Is a like memoir type story in your I future? don't know of a memoir or TV show or something, but the sort of dawn of engineering in this country is something that I know well in my basement you know we had at one point my dad brought home he worked at RCA and then Johnson and Johnson he brought home one of the first eight color television prototypes and it was like all these wires and stuff like that and it ended up in our garage and then my mom threw it out because she thought it was junk and today that would be worth millions of dollars so my dad still doesn't let her live that down but um (laughs) yeah you know i had a group of friends whose dads were all um uh inventors and engineers and were also like soccer dads so you'd be playing soccer with the kids and the dads would be the guy who invented the laser disc which became cds and the guy who invented ultrasound and the guy who invented mri uh, but, you know, it was a crazy upbringing. And this was in New Jersey. This was in Jersey and, you know, up the, the Princeton, New Jersey. It was like the most. And we'd have, you know, those soapbox derbies where you made those little yeah. cars. But all the dads were these super intelligent. Oh, so all man. these cars would be made in these labs with like, you know, titanium wheels. And it was a crazy upbringing. Oh, uh, that's yeah. my dream. Mine was like a box. With no, like my car was so fast. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but none God. of us actually built it. All our dads did. So it Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. more for the dads, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so tell me, what can we look forward to in the next two books well seven wonders you know is is out now and it'll be a movie and the next book i don't want to give away the plot but the main character is an anthropologist and he uncovers another kind of big uh i I don't want to give it away it's it's a mystery the main character is that not jack Jack, Jack. okay so jack Jack grady um, is our indiana jones type um he's this anthropologist who delves into ancient cultures okay i think that's been just long enough that we need like a new indiana jones yeah i mean i I think think so i was obsessed with those movies i thought they were the best movies in the world at the time and uh and there hasn't been you know national treasure was good yeah i love the mummy and i know they're remaking the mummy yeah i mean i Um, love da vinci code but he's not like a sex symbol (laughs) da vinci code is a little different um i love the Vinci Code, a great book. Dan Brown's awesome, but um, it's uh, it's it's more um, you know, into the sort of archaeology and the anthropology that I got into. Oh, yeah. very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, this was so much fun. Thank you. Thank you. This was really a great. And yeah. you know, you're the first person who I'm talking to who's actually read and knows what's inside the book. So <laughs> it was very different for me. But thank you. All I right, appreciate, well, I appreciate it. that. Yeah. All right, everybody. We will see you next week. We've got more interviews, and you can find us on Twitter at Book Circle On. Thank you. From managing editor Jason Squamata, executive producers Maria Menunos, Phil Svitek, and Kevin Undergaro, we would like to thank you for tuning in to Book Circle Online. For more discussion, go to bookcircleonline.com. And if you have comments, questions, or book title suggestions, write us at info at bookcircleonline.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this is Book Circle Online. BCO, join the circle.